everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am so glad you found us. Welcome to everyone. If you are an old friend, welcome back. What a treat we have today with such a special guest. I don't even have time to share a story because I always open with the story. And I have so much to share with you since last week because, you know, our kids, our teenagers aren't living with the burden of having a smartphone Velcroed to their bodies. So their life is a lot different than most teenagers. And we are always doing um, something fun. And they just crack us up all the time because, you know, screens hide talent, right? So when you kind of put them on the back burner and take those screens even put them where they need to be um, out of the way, then all of a sudden your kids start doing all these crazy things. So uh, I'll just say this, that we are enjoying a lot of talent in our house these days. But I just want to jump in with our guest because we are going to run out of time. And our guest today is Officer Gomez. We have so much to talk about. Many of you know him already. I wish I had a drum roll over here or yeah, some clapping, but welcome Officer Gomez to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to talk to some other people who are helping me in my battle against screen time and helping parents out. Tell us just a little bit, give us a little bit about your background and what you do every day, because you're kind of like us, you're out there in the weeds, you know, boots on the ground, right? You're in the field. <laughs> so tell us what you do every day and what your job is and how you got interested in the screen issue. So I started my life out as an engineer in the semiconductor business. I worked for Micron Technologies for 12 years. Then one day I became a police officer just out of adventure sense. Um, after three years of being on patrol, I was asked to be a school resource officer. Once I became a school resource officer, I noticed that many kids and many parents are just kind of winging it instead of coming up with a parenting plan and a kid plan. I started educating kids on social media issues. At the same time, I had undercover accounts that I started going after predators that were in my local area. And it was so easy to arrest predators. They were, they'd just come to me pretty much. In arresting those predators and looking at their social media and in doing social media classes, I learned so much from parents. I learned so much from kids. And I learned so much from the predators. So I started to share that with parents so that they could understand what's going on in the world of social media with their kids and so that they could be better parents, better informed parents with what's happening in the world. Yeah, that's definitely, oh my goodness, a need out there for parents to be more informed. And I loved when you just said that you felt like they were winging it. And that doesn't that just really define where we've all been? Because, you know, this kind of crept up on us a little bit and we didn't grow up with this and it did kind of hit us out of the blue and it was, it was a big hit. I mean, there, there's nothing small about what's happening to our kids. So Officer Gomez, why do you think that parents struggle so much with being bold and just saying no to some things when it comes to screens, just from your view, from your view of dealing with parents and kids a lot? Why do you think parents struggle so much with saying no? From my view of working in the schools every day as a school resource officer, I see parents that are very busy and the phones and screen time is just an easy way for them to kind of check out and go about their lives and get some extra time to themselves, they also don't understand what's happening with kids and how much kids are being brainwashed and desensitized by social media. A lot of the stories that I have that I share with parents, parents cannot even comprehend because it's beyond comprehension. You know, when I get seven, eight, nine-year-olds who send out nude photos of themselves on their you know smartphones that their parents gave them, that's something it's just you can't comprehend that with, with normal comprehension, but over time of doing it over and over and over again, I try and, you know, portray some of these things that are happening to kids so that parents can be better parents. And I do see a lot of positive changes in some of the parents that I reach, but I don't reach that many parents. I don't know. That's frustrating, but, but you are shedding light in that dark place because parents are in the dark and we don't mean to be in the dark. It just, we just don't know how always to get the information. And plus it is really hard because we have blind spots, right? About our own kids. And we just don't feel like 
they could ever feasibly do something like that, like send a nude picture, right? And you see it all the time. I, I think some of it too is social conformity, don't you? Don't you think that in general, it's just easier to do what the group is doing, even as parents? It is. It's peer pressure, just plain and simple. Peer pressure for adults, peer pressure for kids. And I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to. Hey, my kid is the only kid in fifth and sixth grade who doesn't have a smartphone. And I, I, I can't keep on telling them no every day. So they just conform. They give in to peer pressure, just like their kids do, unfortunately. And it's a tough battle when you feel like you're the only one. Yeah, that's a big part of it, being different. Just learning how to be comfortable being different is really the screen strong's message. That's a big part of what we do. But I remember listening to you one time on an interview and you mentioned something about mom, mom's intuition. Do you remember that? Do you remember talking about um, just when you're out and about dealing with crazy people that are predators and different things that are happening? Talk about a parent's intuition when they know something isn't right in their gut, or even when a mom knows, just talk about that a little bit. So parents, I always tell them, you got to be in your kid's business. The more you're in your kid's business, the more you're able to react appropriately when you get that intuition. Because a lot of things, even if you don't understand them, you know something's wrong. Even if you don't know exactly what's going on with your kid, right. You know something's wrong. And, you know, that that's what parents have. You're you're raising your kids, spend time with them. The more time you spend with them, the better you're able to handle that intuition when you see something going wrong. And that might be your kids not eating the same. They're not sleeping the same. They're not acting the same. Something's wrong in the house. And it, it causes up people in the whole house. And that's where parents are going to have to step in and, hey, what's wrong? Go with your intuition. Figure it out educate yourself and start making some changes so that you can have the kid you wanted back. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, this intuition, uh, that we have that we just naturally have, we've got to learn to trust it because I really believe, and you probably see too, that most parents really don't want to give their kids all this stuff. They have doubts and they've got this thing in their gut that's telling them, Hey, you know, maybe they're too young for this, but they don't trust it. They don't trust their intuition. And it's really important to do this when we're dealing with something as potent and powerful as social media, especially. So from your view, what are the biggest, maybe three, because I know there's a bunch that we could talk about, but what are the three biggest dangers or risk that you see as a result of kids having smartphones and social media? What are the three maybe big buckets that you see? The biggest risk. The biggest risk, number one, is desensitization over time. Kids be are desensitized to pornography. They're desensitized to others' feelings. They're desensitized to reality. And this happens over time. But you can imagine that kids are spending 10, 15, 20 hours a day on social media. They are being programmed. So desensitization to those things is a really big problem because one day you're going to wake up, you're not even going to know the teenager in your house because... They've been reprogrammed by their smartphones. Number two is probably the loss of self-worth. And this is a big one. I, I always tell parents, hey, you know what? 75% of kids by the end of 11th grade have sent out nude photos. Well, they always ask me, well, hey, the 25%, what's, what's going on with them? How did they not do this? And I always tell them it's usually a question of self-worth. And I ask lots of kids, what are you worth? And they just don't know, right? They don't know what they're worth because they've been programmed to be worth their body parts of, hey, you know, this is what I put. This is how many shares I have. This is how many likes I have. This is how many retweets I have. That's what they're programmed on their worth. And you see this in adults as well. News stations, you know, are starting to have no integrity because they're programmed to, hey, let me get a bunch of clicks. And, and it doesn't matter what I say, as long as I get some clicks and some reshares. The third biggest one is probably the lack of imagination anymore, right? Kids are not bored. So they have no imagination. They have no desire to go out and do things. They're happy to spend time on their phone all day, every day. And they don't see how that wastes time and it, it gets away their, from their potential to find the things that they enjoy doing and that they're good at so that they can go in the world and enjoy this awesome world that we live in. 
I love those three things. I, I thought we were going to get, you were going to talk more about predators and we'll do that in a second. But those are the thing, the three things that you just said, the desensitization, the loss of self-worth and the lack of imagination. Those are so critical for childhood and for the adolescent years. And as I live through this with my teenagers still at home, I just see every day the gift of this imagination that they have to create things and their self-esteem is so intact because they don't have this constant barrage of people telling them that they're stupid. Right. So they don't, they don't even have the rejection. They don't, they don't have to deal with all that rejection in their creativity is, you know, just out, out of the roof. I mean, we, you know, a teenager, I mean, imagine if the whole world had teenagers that didn't have smartphones telling them how stupid they were. Um, we may have the cure for a lot of diseases <laughs> by now. A lot of good things would happen with these teenage brains. There is so much potential there. But when it does come to predators, because this is something that I don't even know a whole lot about, because fortunately, we don't have to deal with it in our house. But what are some things that parents don't know about this dark side, just just in just in maybe two or three, four things, just about the dark side of social media and teenagers and the predator situation. Give us a few few ideas about what's happening there. So what people don't understand is when kids get on social media, they are being group groomed, right? It's not one person grooming them; it's millions of people grooming them. You can see this on TikTok. If let's take the plank challenge, where somebody goes from push up position to plank position to push up position to some music on the outside that seems like a kind of healthy thing but when you start looking at it they start wearing loose shirts they start wearing no bras they start showing their private parts they start being group groomed by millions of people around the world that hey you're worth your body parts this is what predators do then they don't get together and do this but that's what ends up happening what other things that people don't know is that when you give your kid a smartphone especially if it's in their bedroom at night you have random adults talking to your kids these random adults are professional predators and they're going to prey on any weakness your kid has, right? If your kid is lacking self-worth, if they're lacking confidence, if they're la- that's what these predators are going to prey on. That's why they're earlier things. You build up those, you're going to build an anti-predator kid. If your kid has no self-worth, it'll take any predator is going to be able to come in and you know take over your kid from you. And if a predator spends 10 hours a day with your kid and you spend 15 minutes a day with your kid, Guess what? The predator is going to have more control over your kid than you are. The other thing I see is when I arrest predators and I arrest plenty of plenty of predators that come after my kids at my school. I look at their accounts and people can't imagine, you know, 50 year old man who's, you know, mowing lawns for a living or some CEO. They have Roblox accounts and they have plenty of Roblox accounts. They have Minecraft accounts. They have all these kid game accounts and they get very good at using them. And that's where parents have a hard time comprehending is that there is adult people, men and women, who are coming after your kids. And you're not there to protect them. You're not in their little world. You're not spending enough time for the kids to be protected from that. You're basically handing your kid over to the predators. And the predators have a limitless amount of time to groom your kid to do what they want them to do. And unfortunately, in the younger teenage years, this is where you you set up the building blocks for their life. You know, do parents want to set that up or do you want to hand that over to a predator or to a group conglomerate who's grooming your kid to be worth their body parts? It's, it's a huge deal and one that parents don't understand at all. No, they don't. And our minds just can't really comprehend it because we're not teenagers and we don't click on those things. And we don't, those things are not you know, something that we struggle with, but our kids struggle with it every day. And we can tell kids all day long, don't talk to strangers online and whatever. And that just doesn't, that just goes in one ear and out the other. When you talk about body parts on your website, I mean, on your uh, Facebook page, there was just a recent post that talked about the certain amount of money that these people get for certain images. That was pretty fascinating to me. Can you go over just a couple of those? Like, like, um, I don't have it right in front of me, but um, just, you know, the amounts for certain images that your kids give. So, again, we go back to the group grooming and I tell parents, hey, look, naked pictures and body parts are the new currency in high schools and with young people everywhere. 
with the advent of OnlyFans, where you get paid for naked pictures, a lot of teens are selling their pictures for money. And now I'm starting to run into the problem where kids are actually saying, hey, high school diplomas are for ugly people because they can't sell their naked pictures and make a bunch of money. And I've run into teenagers, you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds who have made thousands of dollars selling naked pictures of themselves. This translates over into school life because now if, if a kid wants to buy a vape, they can sell their naked pictures and get money for a vape or just trade it for vapes. And a lot of things I'm seeing on social media, such as Snapchat is the one that I see this the most, where kids will openly say, hey, look, if you want to buy $150 worth of marijuana, you can pay me $150 or you can pay me $100 in a naked picture or you can pay me $50 in a sexual favor. And kids are doing this. And what this does is it sets up a currency and a value on their body parts. So more and more I'm seeing, um, especially girls that turn 18, they are being solicited to go make videos in Florida and California. And when a parent tells me, hey, can you stop them there at the airport? There's not much I can do. They've been trained for this since their parent gave them a smartphone. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. It's just so scary, but it, but parents just have to get educated about this stuff and put their foot down. I mean, the, this is terrible what, what's happening. And, you know, we talk about, let's talk about parental controls a minute, because now that's the very next question, right? Well, uh, I can give my 12 year old a phone as long as I have the right parental controls. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts on parental controls, but from a mom's perspective, from a parent's perspective, for the many years that I've had teenagers in my house, back in the day when we did try to manage this stuff, I can tell you right now, parental controls don't work. They're exhausting. Can't. There's not 100% on any parental control out there. So I feel like you need parental controls if you have this stuff, but if you're a parent thinking that the parental control is somehow going to keep your kids away from predators or keep them away from selling new pictures of themselves, none of that's true. It's, it's a real blind industry because it promotes a sense of hope that parents can pay X amount a month and I can get this very expensive parental control or try the free one or whatever. And somehow that's going to protect my kids and it doesn't work. And the other thing is, since when is it okay to give our kids stuff that we have to have parental controls on, right? We don't have parental controls on their Legos. We don't have parental controls on the books they read or, you know, they're, oh, honey, you're brushing your teeth too much. So let's put some limits on that. I mean, it should just be a common sense thing that if it requires you to lock it down, there might be something wrong with it. So talk about your opinion. I just want to hear your opinion on parental controls and do they really help ultimately when it comes right down to it? So every kid at my school can get around every parental control. Unless you have like the gab phone, the light phone or the, the pinwheel, which you know basically can't get onto some of those things, even those are dangerous to some degree. Kids can get around it all. They can VPN through stuff. They can, you know, hack through things. They can start up their phone in safe mode and get around everything. And once you allow the addiction to start, kids are going to do anything they can to get more screen time because they are addicted. And that's what parents don't understand. This is an addiction and it can be a lifelong addiction if you don't take care of it early. These screen controls can all be bypassed. And what parents don't understand is every time there's an update to the software, all the screen control programs are outdated. Now you have to come up with new programs and sometimes programs are better on newer software or older software, but it, they, they aren't going to be foolproof at all. I do recommend the parental controls because that shows your kids that it's important to you as a parent, right? Because I want parents to portray, hey, what's important to you as a parent? Sure. Put some controls on their phone. That way I know the kids can get around it, but the kids also know, hey, this is important to my family. Yeah. And I always ask parents, hey, what are your family values? What do you believe in? What do you teach your kids? And a lot of parents are very absent in that, in those answers. Although I do run into to parents who are solid on those answers and those solid parents that, hey, know what their family values are, know what they're teaching their kids and where the kids know what their family values are and what their self-worth is, they do much better in the world of social media. Um, unfortunately, those are few and far between. I'll bet I ask a hundred kids, what are you worth? And maybe one or two of them can say what they're worth. Yeah. I think definitely you're hitting on the family attachment part 
of actually the science. I mean, this is all, everything you're saying is completely backed up by data and research and science and all kinds of studies and like years of parenting studies. We know that kids who have a stronger attachment to their families do much better in life than kids who are more attached to their peers. And they're going to be attached to peers all over the world, peers that you don't even know and influences that you don't even know when they have social media. And I, and I love what you just said about parental controls. I mean, it's really sad, but you are speaking our language over here. Kids will get around to everything. I, I don't care how well intended you are as a parent and how much money you spend and how much time you spend trying to lock it all down. In the background, in a little in a little way, I think your kids are kind of laughing at us. And I, I mean, I don't mean that in, in the way that it sounds, but it, it is a, it's a challenge for them to get around parental controls. Like you give them a parental control and it's like solving the Rubik's cube. They are going to figure it out. And what you said about VPNs, uh, virtual private networks, that's the biggest thing I think in schools that many IT people in the schools are saying, yeah, we can lock it down and put a firewall up to a certain point, but all they have to do is use their phone to get a VPN and there's new VPNs every day and we can't block all the VPNs because we don't even know what they all are going to be. And like even Google Translate can be a VPN. There's all sorts of things that kids can do to get out. So I agree with you totally that we still need to put parental controls on our devices for sure, but we don't rely on them. It's a necessary thing we have to do, but we don't put all our eggs in that basket. Even on my kids' laptops, Right now, the way, because we have 16-year-old teenage boys, okay, 17-year-old teenage boys, they almost take a U-turn. So, you know, you think they're getting mature and they're not, and then they turn 16 (laughs) and then it all kind of starts over. So the way we did the parental controls was we basically block everything and we only allow what they need for school. And that has really worked out really well for us (laughs) once we figured that out. But I I love what you said about this, that they are getting around everything and it's a challenge to them. So talk about contracts a minute too, because isn't this the thing that parents are told these days that this rule of thumb is that you've got to have a contract, you write down all your rules and then they sign it. But do you think they, they work? What, what are your, what's your take on that? So I like, I always advise contracts because it works for some people. But unless you're a parent who spends a lot of time with your kid, the contract's not going to work because you haven't put any value into that contract, right? If you're a parent who spends a lot of time with kids and you have contracts and you teach them about contracts, then a contract might work. If you're a parent who's at work all the time, this, that, and the other, and you haven't built that belief into kids, they have no idea what a contract is. And that's a, that shows at the schools when they have to show do homework, when they have to do all kinds of things. This is the value system. If they don't have a value system, a contract is not going to work. But it does work for a few parents, and it gives them a starting point. I always put out the contracts because it gives people a good thing to talk about. And even if they don't abide by the contract, at least they've sat down initially and talked to their kids. Hey, this contract has this many line items. Let me tell you why this line item is important. Let me tell you why this line item is important. And the more you can talk about it, the more you can see the problem is the more parents understand the dangers that they're giving to their kid. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it, to use it more like an outline for your conversations, because even the phone companies and, and contract, legal contracts, of course, we know are, you can't sign a legal contract till you're 18 or whatever. You can't even get a phone till you're 18 to sign the contract. That's a whole nother story. But um, again, I think contracts, I, I agree with you that it is a good outline for conversations, but I don't think that you need to trust them. And I do think there's a lot of parents that say, well, he signed the contract and he said he wouldn't do it. And they kind of check it off. It's like, okay, well, he signed it. So as long as he signed it, then now I know he's never going to take his phone in the bedroom. And that's really dangerous because that doesn't, that mentality doesn't work. And when we talk about, let's talk about phones in the bedroom a minute and, and porn, because I love the little clip that you put up on your Facebook recently that said a pornography magazine has approximately a hundred images to see. A smartphone has many millions of porn images and videos to see. And I'm guessing most parents won't let their kids have a pornography magazine in their bedroom. I love this. I've been saying this for so long. Would you give your kids a Playboy? Because when you give them a phone, that's what you're doing. In fact, you're giving them the subscription to Playboy magazine. So I love that you put that up there. Since you are there, you are our eyes and ears on the 
school campuses and just interfacing with families and talking to teenagers about this. Is this something that parents are really overreacting about or is this something that is a big deal to kids? So the pornography thing, parents are underreacting. Uh, imagine in middle school, how many kids say all kinds of weird things or use some weird languages or terms that you're not familiar with. And you kind of laugh it off when we had no cell phones. Well, now through all the social media, if somebody uses a sexual term, well, all the kids are looking it up. Well, what does that mean? What's the video? And so they're seeing this sixth, seventh, eighth graders look up the terminology that other kids are using. They get to see it live right there in their classroom, in their bedrooms, wherever that may be. I get many parents who, after my classes, will check their kids' history, their browsing history. And they'll say, hey, you know, my 14-year-old boy was, you know, three hours spent looking at porn last night. What do we do? I'm like, okay, they're a boy that biologically programmed to like to see naked things. And you just provided, you know, the Disneyland of naked things for them right in their bedroom. It doesn't make them an evil kid. It doesn't make them, a you know, a, a predator. It doesn't make them, you know you know, a sexual deviant, it makes them a boy. Girls are doing it just as much just to keep in the know for what's going on. I see plenty of, this is the, the, the misconception is that girls don't look at pornography like boys do, but they do. And I run into this all the time and this starts affecting their real relationships. So, you know, by seventh and eighth grade, ninth grade, when they start getting real girlfriends, they start thinking that they should be doing the same things that they're doing in these pornography videos one of the clearest examples that always seems to happen is personal grooming. For whatever reason, they see this on, on videos on pornography. So now you got eighth and ninth grade girls who feel like they're an outcast if they don't shave their pubic area because that's what they see on all the pornography movies. And a boy that finds out that they don't groom themselves there is, is just as likely to think it's gross and all that because everything they see on pornography sets them up for that. I, that's just blowing my mind a little bit over here even, but I do know that the science behind what you're talking about is so clear that we mimic what we see and we have mirror neurons in our brain and we have this in our course that we have the kids brains and screens course that we have. And we talk about how the mirror neurons are there and they're there for many reasons for us as human beings to survive in the world. But for things like this, Kid, the studies show that kids who watch pornography, watch all these videos, they are more likely to perform what they see. It's just part of our makeup as humans, how we copy what other people do. And so we know for a fact that when kids do have access to pornography and they're viewing pornography and using pornography, that they will be sexually active much earlier than kids who don't. This is not just a moral issue, of course, which it is, but it's also just a medical, physical, emotional issue as well. It's just way too much at such a young age. I think it's fascinating what you're saying about girls and boys, because I know that the statistics show that it's 50-50, that they both, that both sexes watch and are interested in this. Um, and when you think about the human brain, the dopamine that is being created, uh, it's food that we get a lot of dopamine, the highest amount and sex is the next thing. So of course, pornography is going to be high on their list of their dopamine seeking brains and their risk taking brains. And that feeds all those voids that they have to fill that up. So it is very, very serious. Can you think of any other risk that porn leads to? Do you think it's just sort of a enclosed thing that everybody does and it's just all secret? What are the things do, does that habit lead to in this age group? I mean, sex is normal. Sex is biologically, scientifically, it, it's correct. Pornography, not so much. Pornography is acting. It's showtime. And it leads to bad relationships. It leads to loss of sleep. It leads to relationship problems. Because, you know, people are smelly and have belly fat and have all kinds of things that this is real life. And what they see on pornography is not real life. So they tend to not enjoy real relationships as much when you're looking at a lot of pornography. The other thing that happens with pornography is predators use pornography to get at young boys, especially when they're trying to get them for sextortion or get them to come meet them. Especially older men will take a 
young girl's account and just take over her identity and start sending nude photos over to the young boy and get almost anything they want because these boys are being the lure is pornography for girls. The lure is a little different. It's more of the wanting to be mature. So I've seen this over and over on phones of young girls who have sent nude photos to people they don't know. Some guy will come along and say, hey, send me a nude photo. Oh, no, you know, I don't want to send you a nude photo. I like you, but I don't want to send you a nude photo. And the guy says, well, I thought you were more mature than that. And so that's that's the the predator lure. With boys, it's pornography. I mean, they they, they pretend they're the older people pretend they're a young lady, which they can download a series of pictures of any young looking pornography actress. And by series, they can, you know, fully dressed, half dressed, you know, everything. And they start sending those pictures to these boys and getting pictures in return, which they use for self-pleasure. And they use to join underground child sex pornography groups. And they use them for sextortion. All this is going on every single day in every school, everywhere. So it's not just a little thing, boys will be boys. We just need to not worry about this. Don't overreact. There's a lot behind the scenes that's happening. All these things you're saying are so real and... Another thing that really happens, I think, that I've seen with pornography habits is this deep depression that kids get in. It's it's depressing. Um, if your son or daughter is experiencing anxiety and depression right now, you need to really consider they may be caught in this this loop, this habit loop of watching porn every day. It it can really do a number on their brain. It changes the structure of their brain. And we see this on MRIs and we have this footage in our course as well, but it's serious. This is not like, oh, somebody had a Playboy magazine in the treehouse and mom found it. That's not what we're talking about. There's so many things that are tied to this. Let's talk a minute about the age of 13, because this is what so many uh, social media, of course, every social media platform out there says the age of 13 is what you have to be 13 before you get on all this stuff. And I'm just kind of curious, and I'm not at all trying to be sarcastic. I, I am just curious, what is it about 13? Is it 13 okay then to see all this stuff? Who came up with 13? What is the science behind it? Because the science that we know says that 13 is probably the worst age that you can be exposed to all this stuff because of the neural pruning that's going on, the reorganization that's happening in the teen brain at this point, to your point that you made earlier, they are becoming who they are with their self-esteem. They have the highest, you know, pain from rejection at this point. So I know that this random age of 13 is used a lot. What is your thought on that like why 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 is it and should we rethink that that age even for social media 13 only accounts for two percent of people because in reality 95 percent of sixth graders already have their own smartphone they're not 13 they're not even close to 13 yet seventh graders eighth graders they, they all have it so 13 is a losing battle already if I were to say, hey, 17, then then we're not even close to anything coming together. I have to kind of compromise. You know, if it were me, it would be 18 because of the things that are on TikTok and Snapchat. I mean, it, it is such crazy reprogramming and desensitization. I would say 18 minimum. And, you know, in reality, especially for like boys, it'd be 25, right? Wait till their brains are fully developed before we give them such a powerful thing. Of course, I do a lot of other things at 25 too. I always, I always tell the kids, don't make any big decisions until you're 25. Don't get married. Don't buy a house. Don't buy car payments. They're like the freest years of your life are between 18 and 25. Let's wait till you're 25 till you make some of these big choices. The 13 rule is almost not even applicable because everybody has their social media accounts before 18 and parents are Snapchatting their sixth graders or fifth graders or fourth graders. And it is becoming a bigger and bigger problem every day. 13 is the very, 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 very minimum but it's, it's almost a mute point anymore because parents are not heeding this. No, and we are trying to create a community over here because at some point somebody has to say it's okay to delay. And that's why ScreenStrong is here. And I know I'm the mom who years ago, I bought into all of this. I knew the whole, you know, I hook, line and sinker. I thought it was all going to be fine we got burned as a family 
And now I, I agree there. I agree with you totally that it should at least be 18. I mean, let them have a childhood. 48 months of high school really is not that long. If you can't do something for 48 months and you got bigger problems. And But yet I agree with you that the cat's out of the bag and it's really hard to reel it back in. But I do think that it's worth the conversation to have a community, to have a culture, a little mini culture that says, this is, it's fine to delay. I don't think there's anything wrong with delaying. I don't think that it's imperative. I don't think it's necessary. And what do you think about that? Do you think that it is necessary for kids to have this? I mean, social media, I don't think was ever designed for teenagers. It's, it was a marketing platform designed to get data from you. So they can sell things back to you. It's very harmful. It turns out it's very addictive. It's hurting their self-esteem. Like you said, it's desensitizing them. It's killing their identity. And any four-year-old can do it. So they're not really learning a valuable skill. So what do you think about starting more conversations around hitting this delay button? And let's just wait and let's pause and let's just see what happens with that. See what that experiment looks like. On delaying social media, I highly advise delaying social media. There's a couple of problems with delaying social media. The, the, one of the big problems we're having is that school teachers are now starting to switch over to more and more device classrooms. And this is horrible, especially since the pandemic. Now, you know, my wife as a substitute is going into classrooms and the, the teachers are no longer teaching. They're just giving Google packets for kids to do. So here, do this Google packet. As soon as you're done, you can spend time on social media. So that's kind of the carrot they give them at the end. And the kids are actually much, much more motivated by being able to use social media at the end of the class than they are by grades, right? I don't care about grades, but if I get to use Instagram and Snapchat at the end of the class, I'll do whatever it takes. No, I just think that's terrible that we're allowing the schools and the teachers to determine our parenting and what's best for our kids, because obviously it's easier for them, but I'm really not concerned about what's easier for them. I'm more concerned about what's best for my kids' brain, since this per- permanent stuff that's happening in their brain is really critical. So I, that's a fascinating thought though. I I totally agree with you. And I want to just also say your kids don't need smartphones and social media to keep up with all that. They have a laptop in school and anything that the teachers need to do can be done on a laptop. That's just my thoughts on that. So, all right, what's the next thing? So I live in the mountains where Wi-Fi and cell service is very scarce. So I have families and kids who don't have Wi-Fi at home, who don't have cell phones at, at home, but I'll bet a lot of my kids up in the mountains, they know how to drive a tractor. They know how to hunt. They know how to fish. They know how to ride a four-wheeler. They know how to go out in the forest and do things to entertain themselves because they don't have access to phone service. And now the school is actually indoctrinating them. You need a cell phone. You need this. In fact, the school actually paid for Wi-Fi at some kids' houses to get them through the pandemic. Once you give that, you can't take it back. But it is a neat thing to see. I have kids who don't aren't addicted to their cell phones because it's not available up here. Whereas when I was in the big city, everybody had cell phones. The poorest of the poor still have their cell phones that they have every month and are able to get connected with everybody and everything. Absolutely, we should delay. Absolutely, we should delay as as much as possible. And we're going to have to fight this battle in the school next because schools are really going to indoctrinate your kids to social media. Here's your laptop. Here's your Chromebook. Here's your iPad. Now what? Right now, the the eight hours they're at school, the school is actually showing them how to be addicted to screen time. So that makes a parent's job much harder. And I don't know that we have any studies yet, Google Classroom versus Real Teacher, but that's going to have to come out and we're going to have to show some things. And I think at some point we're going to have to choose our school, whether we want a device school or a in-person school. And we're going to have to fight that battle pretty hard at some point. Well, and you know, the big tech execs, they do not send their kids to schools that are full of devices. They send their kids to schools that are completely non-tech because they know exactly what the studies show. They're creating this stuff. They know what it does. And that was always fascinating to me that the big tech execs don't give their kids iPads. I mean, Steve Jobs didn't even give his own kids iPads. What what does that tell you? I, I agree totally that parents have to get behind this a little bit better. They need to start standing up for their kids. And start making some noise in the school. And at our particular system over here, I still get textbooks for my kids. I know they learn better. And the science is very clear that they do learn better with handwriting their notes, 
reading things, uh, reading text on real paper. The screen does a whole lot of uh, to their brain to really distract them. And to your point, we are conditioning, we're allowing the schools to condition what their rewards are. So if we say that Snapchat is the reward, like you said, I love what you just said, that they go after that more than they do grades. Who wants good grades? Because what you said early in the show is you have to be really ugly to care about school, right? Because obviously you don't even need to graduate. So everything is being shifted. There's nothing intrinsically beneficial that they're going to need during their adolescent years as far as social media. And I love that you're able to see the kids out in nature that you know that are doing just fine. In fact, let's talk about the advantages of not having all these screens 24-7 in your pocket. I believe that kids who, like I said, are Velcroed to their devices have less advantages across the board on everything that we can measure. Kids who have this stuff are going to be less advantaged than kids who don't have it. And so, Officer Gomez, when you think of things like academics, social skills, physical health, mental health, sexual health, attachment to family, I'm just thinking really quickly here, confidence, interest in hobbies, sports, time on your dirt bike, (laughs) communication skills, uh, better self-esteem, less rejection. I'm just rolling them off. I mean, is there, am I wrong? I mean, what advantages does a screen kid really have that someone who's delaying all this doesn't have? They don't have very many advantages. You know, the, the one thing is, you know, parents, I want to be connected to my kid 24-7. It's like, that's not that healthy. Kids need to be able to make mistakes. They need to be able to think on their own. And they don't have hardly any advantages. I always tell parents, hey, you know, one of the best things you can do is go spend time on a day with a boat, right? Or just go take pictures, go to an art exhibit, go to go to something, go spend time with your kids so that they know what your family values are. They know what you're going to do in problem situations and they know how you're going to handle things. Screen time does none of that. All screen time does is it entertains your kid. It keeps them from doing other things. And I always tell parents, hey, look, addiction is giving up everything for one thing, right? Whether it's vaping, whether it's marijuana, whether it's meth, whether it's pornography, whether it's whatever. Addiction is giving everything for one thing. And some kids do it with video games. They give up everything for video games. They give up everything for pornography. They give up everything for vaping, right? That is an addiction. Who thinks that they should get their kids addicted to cell phones? Not me. And I don't know why the school is going this way or why they would even allow that. But it is happening. When's the last time you spent a family day? That's worth more than everything else. And you'll get to know your kid some. Some parents don't even know their kids. I'll call parents. Hey, do you know your kid is doing this or they're interested in that? Well, no. And some parents are too busy or they're in survival mode or they just don't have time to spend time with their kids. I don't know what the, the, there's, there's so many different issues, but you had your kids spend some time with them. They are awesome, right? If you give them the chance, take away their cell phone. Yeah. And it's all about time. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Of course, we got to put our stuff down too long enough to spend time with them, but this is why we're having so much fun with our younger teenagers now so much more fun than we did with our oldest. And it kills me because we just didn't get to know him. I, you, everything that you just said is my life. Like it's totally, I totally love it. And I love that you, you said that they want to be in touch with their kids. So they need a phone, but you know what? They don't need social media and they don't need a smartphone. We live in a day and age where there is so much technology that you can find a phone like the Gab phone, which we we like that one the best for a couple reasons, because you can get a certain plan where you can't even send photos, which I think is really important, but you can still call your kids. And, you know, the other thing about not having a phone at school that was really interesting because uh, all my families will say things like, well, they're in baseball now, so they need a phone. You know, they need a $800 smartphone that they can do everything on <laughs> in order for, you know, be able to just to call me. And I say, you know what, all through middle school, Our teenagers did not have a phone and what they had to do when they had to get in touch with us, Officer Gomez, they had to go to the office and talk to the sweet lady there (laughs) at the phone and um, ask if they could call their mom. What this did was 
it got them used to talking to adults. It was fascinating. It was just fascinating for me to watch this play out. I want to talk about some of these parenting styles because it goes right into what I'm, what I'm talking about on your, your Facebook page. I love that you have this whole little post here on these parenting styles, the enabling parent, the overbearing parent, the guilty parent, the Disney parent, the helicopter parent. I love how you unpack all this because I want our audience to think about how phones are hurting our parenting. And for example, like the Disney parent, yeah, we give phones because we want our kids to like us. The helicopter parent, we give phones so we can control everything that they're doing and we can see and we can text them in math class to ask them if the boy they like is sitting next to them. I mean, if that's not helicoptering, I don't know what is. You look at the lawnmower snowplow parent definition that you have here, that they go ahead of their kids and make sure they smooth out the path. Well, isn't that what we use smartphones for? Aren't we constantly telling our kids, texting them and telling them what to do? We're smoothing out their path. We don't want them to be different honey, here, I need to give you all this stuff because all your friends have it. You need to have a smartphone and social media because everybody else does. And I want you to be different, but I want you not to worry about not being like your friends. And I think it's a myth. I think we got it all backwards because a lot of times, Officer Gomez, we get criticized for overprotecting our kids because we're not giving them smartphones. And I think it's just the opposite. I think when kids have smartphones Velcro to their bodies, I think that they are being overprotected. I think they need to get out on their dirt bike and not worry about their smartphone. Absolutely. And and this doesn't stop at the end of high school, right? We're seeing parents do this well into kids, you know, 30 and 40 years old doing the same thing. That makes it hard on relationships. It hard makes it hard on work environments. Parents are using phones to overprotect their kids. And I always get the thing that, you know, parents say, well, you know, what if there's a shooting at the school? A kid needs to be able to get a hold of me. But what they don't understand is if there's a shooting at the school, your kid is instructed to be quiet and not give up their location. If they're calling you, you're calling them. Now you're going to give up their location, possibly get them and their classmates killed in a situation like that. The school, the police, they'll handle that situation just fine. I think it would be great, um, Officer Gomez, if you did a little informal survey with all the parents that you know and have them write down all the times they had to go rescue their kids from even a flat tire or or some kind of car problems or whatever, because that's the number one thing that we hear all the time is that, well, my kid's driving, so he's got to have a phone. So when he has a wreck, he can call me. I, I, you know, I have had four teenagers. And if I add up all those years, that's like, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years worth of teenage years in my life. And not once has anyone ever had to call me to go rescue them. So I think we're just like exaggerating this thing. I mean, we want them what to take pictures of their food so they can send us the pictures of their food. Like that's a really dumb reason to have a phone. And I want my kids actually to learn how to function in the real world without a phone, because what happens one day if their battery dies and they can't access their phone, then what are they going to do? Do they know how to change a tire? Do they know what to do if they have to walk to the next exit and get gas? I mean, I, I think we're really disabling them. We we are creating kids that aren't launching. They're not mature. They're not learning their life skills. They're using this as a crutch. It's a pacifier. And I think we need to do something about it. We've got to increase this conversation. We've got to get the conversation out there that it's okay to delay. So as we wrap up, I'd love to do this with every show and I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. So we have one final question. We have a lot of people listening today that are coming to us because they're at the end of the rope and they have had it and they have tried the parental controls. They've tried the contracts. They've tried all the things that cultures told them to do and they're losing their kids and they need help and they need encouragement and, and we know there's a lot of parents out there that are going to try it and they're going to, and we're not judging them and that's fine. And they're going to come back around one day and they're going to say, gosh, you know, I regret this more than anything. But what is your final tips of encouragement maybe, or just tips in general for parents who want to hit the pause button, who want to be different? What can you tell them? What can you offer for them today? My best piece of advice is, Spend time with your family and your kids. That's going to be above all else. You mentioned dirt bikes a couple of times. And I used to race dirt bikes out in the desert. And, and this old guy that we were with, 
He said, you know, you get all these young kids that will buy all kinds of pieces and parts for their bikes to try and make it go faster. And he goes, since the beginning of time on dirt bikes, the best thing you can do to improve your racing on a dirt bike is to put a full tank of gas through it. That's the best improvement you can make. If you want to improve your kid, spend some time with them. That's going to be the best improvement you can do. You can spend money on all kinds of frills and you can, you can try all this other stuff. But the time-tested way to improve your kids and your family life, spend some time together. Right. And you may have to try some different things to find out what you can spend time together. That's fun for everybody. But that is going to be the best. Spend some time together. There's no substitute for that. There's no amount of money you can spend on apps or controls or anything else. That is brilliant. And isn't it always the case that the most successful solutions are always the most simple? It goes back to everything, you know, with sports, you go back to the basics with parenting, you just spend time with your kids. And I love the idea of this whole full tank of gas, because you can do a full tank of gas with your dirt bike, and you can do a full tank of gas with your kids too. You've got to give them a full, you've got to fill them up. You've got to do this. And the only way to do this is by spending time with them. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's it's so sad that we spend so much of our time on the screen issue. Think about it. If we took all the time that we spent fussing with the screens at our house and turned that into just having fun with our kids, what would this world look like? It would be different for sure. And it's not really that hard to do. And I want everyone listening not to be discouraged, but only to be encouraged today to be able to follow your gut intuition and to listen to everything that Officer Gomez has shared with us and we thank you so much because you have no idea how many lives that that you're changing. And anytime that a parent hears the truth and hears the facts around all this and just gets a little more light shed in these dark places, it will affect their parenting. It will directly affect their kids. So thank you so much for sharing all your gifts with us, Officer Gomez. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. And Let's talk again sometime. Love to have you back on for sure. We have questions all the time. So we will definitely take you up on that and have you back on. Thanks so much for everything that you're doing. And don't forget to go visit Officer Gomez's Facebook page. We will have that listed in the notes for this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this as much as I did today, please share this podcast with your friends. This may be the one podcast that they hear that starts sort of melting away their blind spots about this issue. And you can get your kids back. We will help you do it. You know, we have a new course, a Kids Brains and Screens course that has tons and tons of information that you can sit down with your spouse. We're actually looking at ways to get this into the school, get this into the teacher's hands so they can start to understand more of the science. And you can start a small group of parents in your home so you can learn together, get the course, get four or five parents together, sit down, learn the information. We need community. If you haven't joined our Screen Star Families Facebook group, please get in there and ask questions. We will help you. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. Until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. Stay strong.